Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, it is January the 6th, and uh, prior to this year, and every other year, that would have meant that we were going to talk about Epiphany. We would be recognizing and acknowledging the 12th night, uh, the the 12th day of Christmas. We would be acknowledging uh, the arrival of the wise men, the natal star. But January 6th has taken on uh, quite a different meaning in the United States of America after the events of January 6th last year. And so um, this morning as we begin here on Mornings with Carmen, I just want to encourage us to have today be a day in which we are aware and a day in which to beware. So of what today are you aware and how are we instructed by God in the Bible to beware? Beware what? Well, God tells us to beware the reality, the presence, and the persuasive power of evil, specifically uh, the persuasive power of people who seek to lead us astray, seek to lead us away from God or away from the truth, um, seek to sow division, beware of those who would seek to draw you away from the goodness of God or the life he intends. Specifically, Jesus says we should beware of false prophets, whom Jesus describes uh, as wolves in sheep's clothing. I'm thinking here of Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, uh, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you're going to recognize them. Uh, And he talks about the difference in the kinds of fruit that is produced in the life of a person of peace versus the fruit that is produced in the life of a person of division. And so um, he talks about good trees bearing good fruit and bad trees bearing bad fruit and the reality that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So you're going to know um, the the tree by its fruit. And so that's an opportunity for us to have conversations today about what that means, what that means in our life together, what that means in in the life of our nation. What is the fruit that is produced by the actions of, of individuals? And yes, by their words. What does it look like today to beware of false teachers? Uh, Those who seek to sow half-truths or doubt or division. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. This is Hebrews 13, the beginning of verse 9. Don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. So what does it look like? What does it mean to strengthen our hearts by grace today? Well, I think that that is in part allowing the word of God to do its work, allowing God to sow his word of truth in us, that it would become the very foundation of our life. So we strengthen our hearts by grace um, when we grow up in every way into Christ, who is the head. And that is drawn from Ephesians chapter 4, 
So what 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 does it look like? You know, it's the first week of a new year. Lots of people making workout plans. Well, what does it look like to work out our faith with fear and trembling, to strengthen our weak knees, to build up the body in love? In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, you know, we are to build up the body of Christ until all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, that all would be built up to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. Think about that, the full stature of Christ, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning or craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we as Christians are to grow up in every way into Christ who is the head, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, uh, when working properly together, makes the whole body grow up. So build, it builds itself up in love. That's what we want to do today. We want to build up the body of Christ in love. We want each one to be presented mature. And yes, we want to beware of those who would seek to lead us in a direction other than that. So we need to know the truth. We need to be turned toward the one who is the truth. We want to have a heightened awareness of Christ and the things of Christ today. And yes, we want to beware of anyone and everyone who would seek to sow division um, and be people who would lead us away from uh, the way of peace. All right, today is Epiphany. What does that mean? We're going to ask Ben Johnson next. We'll be right back. This is my right. Right. Ben Johnson joins us again today. Ben is a pastor. He's also a media reporter for the Daily Wire. You can find him at dailywire.com. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. So um, Epiphany, January the 6th, what is it? Um, who is celebrating it? And why does it matter? Well, hopefully everyone is celebrating it. Uh, you know, it's it's the most ancient Christian feast uh, other than Sunday itself in a lot of ways. Uh, the Christians, of course, uh, we know from the book of Acts, celebrate the first day of the week as the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the date of Easter came about uh, somewhat later. But we know that uh, Epiphany was one of the days that was celebrated universally, and it was always January 6th. Uh, originally... Uh, the, the Epiphany has a fascinating meaning. Uh, today in the West, it celebrates the adoration of the Magi, the three wise men coming to adore our Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew chapter 2. Uh, we have that, um, that passed on to us uh, throughout uh, all of, all of um, the, the book of uh, Matthew about how Herod tried to kill everyone. We, we celebrated uh, that uh, during the cycle of Christmas. And uh, today is the 12th day of Christmas. Uh, so uh, generally, it's, it's considered part of the Christmas season. In the East, it celebrates the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. Now, you wonder, why is it that um, to, to, to make things a little bit muddier at first, uh, in Armenia, 
they still celebrate all of those things on January 6th, including that today in Armenia, Armenian Christians are celebrating Christmas. Uh, the reason being that originally three different things were celebrated, and in fact four, uh, in, uh, on January 6th. January 6th, Epiphany, was originally the celebration day of Christmas itself. So uh, when people were, were celebrating, they didn't celebrate December uh, 25th in most places. They celebrated on the 6th. They also celebrated the Adoration of the Magi, the, uh, the three wise men coming with their gifts of, of frankincense and golden myrrh, uh, Balthazar, Malkior, and Gaspar, uh, according to uh, tradition, the names of the three wise men from Persia. And then they celebrated the baptism of uh, Christ in, in uh, the River Jordan and the first miracle at the wedding of Cana of Jesus turning water to wine. The term epiphany in Greek means a shining forth. Uh, in the East, it's called theophany, which means a revelation of God. And all of those things, one way or another, were considered to be miracles that showed forth Jesus' divinity. So his birth into the world, uh, his, his adoration by the Magi was the revelation to the Gentiles, and then his baptism where uh, the voice of God himself comes uh, and the, the Holy Spirit descending as a voice of a do uh, as, as a dove, and the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. All of those things showed that Jesus Christ is truly God and man. And then, of course, the, the first miracle where he shows that he has power over the elements of the earth. And uh, so all of those things were celebrated originally on this date. Over time, Christmas and uh, all of the other feasts were, were changed. The calendar uh, in the West particularly is, is a little more robust, where you celebrate the birth of Christ on the 25th, and there are historical reasons for that. And then moving on to January 6th, you celebrate the, the Adoration of the Magi. And then uh, the week after that, uh, the Sunday following that, usually you celebrate uh, the Baptism of Christ. So all of those things over time came to be separate feasts. But the idea is that God came into the world, and today darkness is defeated. Today God has taken on human flesh. Today God has been recognized by all the nations of the world as God and his divinity because of the gold, uh, because uh, as a king because of the gold, as God and his divinity because of the frankincense, and that he would die in order to redeem us because of the myrrh which you use in order to prepare the body for death. Those things were shown forth today on this day on January 6th. And wise men still seek him. I think that um, today, as we consider the reality of who Christ is, that he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, um, I think that each one of us should consider how we're going to seek him today. What does it look like for you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness today. No matter whatever else is going on in the world, no matter whatever else is seeking to um, compete for your attention today, how are you going to give your attention to Christ, the one who has come, full of grace and truth, the, uh, the co-eternal second member of the Trinity? Uh, Jesus Christ is Lord. One day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Are you bowing the knee today, along with the adoration of the Magi? Ben Johnson and I will be right back. Good 
Continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson. He is a media reporter for The Daily Wire. You can find him at dailywire.com. Um, you can also find Ben online. He uh, he writes as The Rights Writer. That's how you'll find him on Twitter. That's his handle. Um, ben, let's talk a little bit about this unfolding story related to J.K. Rowling. Um, so she is most famous for being the author of the Harry Potter series, which has arrived on its 20th anniversary in terms of the film. But she um, was barred from attending the big event celebrating the 20th anniversary of that, um, which seems a little odd. How can you celebrate Harry Potter and uh, the series and then the film series without the person who brought it forth? Right. Uh, essentially, Hollywood has looked at the creator of Harry Potter, and uh, it's not just the, the producers, the actors, everyone involved in it has looked at her and said, Expelliarmus. I mean, they've <laughs> they've tried to cast her out of her own movie. Well done. Uh, and her own well book. done. Thank you. Did you uh, did you get a did you get a um, uh, uh, a, a wand? You know, are you allowed? To, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we're allowed to do incantations. All right. There you yeah, go. Yeah, Expelliarmus. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't encourage anybody else to to take that up, but uh, but yeah, that's uh, basically they they've tried to erase her in every way that's uh, humanly possible, including literally from some of the footage uh, where, where there's archival mm. footage of the stars. They have literally brushed her out of it, Stalin style, uh, in in the old days where someone would simply disappear down the memory hole, like 1984. Uh, the new writing credits uh, on the uh, newest film, which are the prequels to the Harry Potter's uh, Harry Potter series. You would think that she was an afterthought to the show. They have reduced uh, the the size of her name uh, to the, I think, the lowest legal point available. But all of it goes back to the fact that she is standing up for the reality of biology. Uh, and and J.K. Rowling is is not someone we would think of as a fundamentalist Christian by any means. Uh, she she has uh, you know said things about um, about social issues that uh, most of the audience would disagree with many times over. But the one thing that she did. Uh, was she happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's an old saying that uh, a a liberal, uh, a conservative today is a liberal 20 years ago. Basically, two orthodoxies collided. And uh, the old orthodoxy that she represented was uh, a feminist orthodoxy where you tried to have as many spaces specifically for women. So you tried to create spaces where women uh, were celebrated and they were free to, uh, to be with other women, to talk about their experience, to compete against one another in sports, uh, to study together uh, in school and so on, if they so wished. The new orthodoxy is that there are no women. Uh, there are no women. There are no men. Everything is on a continuum, and therefore it's however you identify and uh, however your feelings lead you that particular day determines your gender, uh, the the fuzzy notion that has replaced the, the binary sexual distinction that God created in Genesis 1, Jesus talked about in the Gospels. Male and female created he them. Rowling simply will not have it, uh, and she has been outspoken about the fact that gender is a real thing, that uh, that men and women exist, that um, you know, if, if someone, and she's, she's been uh, at times rather explicit with her language, but all to drive home the point that uh, gender is reality. And so all the stars of the film, all the Hollywood brass, they have all tried to cancel her, and she has refused to bow the knee. She has refused to change her mind. Uh, she has not backed down. And you know, she's generated what uh, virtually almost a billion-dollar industry 
uh, mm-hmm. over 20 years, uh, something that has changed the lives of countless children, uh, you know, and, and children love these books, have for decades, uh, you know, all because of, um, of the fact that she is standing up. Someone who is known for fantasy refuses to cave to the fantasy of Hollywood. It is a very um, interesting story, and it does, I think, illustrate the confusion of our day. Um, people want to celebrate the fiction. They want to believe the fiction. In fact, they're very, very happy to believe the fiction she writes. Um, they want to associate with it. They want to dress up as if it were true. They want to, um, you know, they want to do fictional things. But when it comes to actually separating truth from fiction, people have a very, very difficult time doing that. They they simply only want that which aligns with whatever they fantasize about in the moment. Um, it is a uh, it is an interesting point in time of particular delusion. And and that's an outstanding uh, point of view. You know, the reason that people love these fantasy books is because they they realize that this is false. Uh, you know, Mr. Rogers became everyone's favorite neighborhood be, neighbor because part of the show he would talk about real things. He would go to fire stations and show people how that worked, or he would have a, a sort of mini documentary, and then he would go to the land of make believe. And there was a clear distinction in the show so that you knew which was which. People love fantasy and escapism, and that's what these books brought to people, along with the wonder and awe of a different world uh, that's, uh, that uh, is outside of the realm of real possibility, but uh, that uh, sort of impinges on, on this world but takes us elsewhere. And when you erase the distinction between fact and fiction, uh, then you know, not only do you not know where to put her books, but uh, it's, it's exactly that dividing line that made her uh, such the star that she is. And and really, uh, you have to take your hat off to someone who refuses to erase that distinction. Uh, the, the the mere biological reality of this, regardless of the cost to herself, uh, and someone who is so big uh, and so beloved by so many that she simply can't be canceled completely. Yeah, I would just note that girls and boys are not housed together at Hogwarts. Okay. Um <laughs> Uh, let's talk uh, for a moment about reality. We have a couple of minutes to bring people up to speed on what is happening um, in terms of, you know, I'll just describe it as the educational fiasco in Chicago. Uh, tell people what's happening here. Oh, my goodness. Well, there's no school again today. Uh, they, this is the second day in a row that they have canceled school uh, in the Chicago public schools because the Chicago Teachers Union is holding out for greater demands. Uh, and this is something that is uh, sort of a regular rite of passage. If anyone has been following the local Chicago news, there was a major uh, strike last year, strike the year before that. It's it's a regular recurring feature of Chicago life that your child will simply have an unpredictable time at home or in daycare uh, because the teachers do not want to come in. Uh, they are constantly demanding more and more, and they are willing not to show up. Now, this comes after a year of pandemic where people were were allegedly learning remotely, and we we learned that uh, so many of them were not able or did not simply chose not to go to school. Uh, this is a major threat to the educational future of these children, uh, simply because adults refuse to step forward. Now, uh, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was uh, probably the most uh, transformative president of the 20th century. He changed the uh, the role of the federal government in our personal lives, changed the role of the presidency. but uh, and and he, he was the one who signed in uh, 1936 
the act that allowed uh, unionization to be uh, widespread and federally protected. But Franklin Roosevelt said there should be no federal or uh, public sector unions. That is, if you work for the government, the people that you're organizing against uh, are the voters uh, who mm -hmm. set the conditions in the first place. And in this case, you're depriving a major public good from innocent children. So uh, this, is, this is one of the reasons that uh, we need to put education first. And uh, for those who are in Chicago, I hope they find that there are alternatives uh, where, where there will not be these kinds of disruptions. Uh, of course, there's always homeschooling, but uh, then there, there are online virtual schools, there are private schools. There are alternatives where uh, not only will you find regular education that actually takes place, but uh, you will find uh, perhaps uh, the curriculum more greatly reflects your deepest views and beliefs about morality and about the existence of a higher power. Amen. Amen. All right. Ben Johnson and I are going to leave it right there. Thank you, my brother. we got to take a very brief break because next up, we're actually going to share an interview we recorded yesterday with Dr. Tim Muehlhoff because he lives on the West Coast and we didn't think it was very nice to try to get him to get up this early. So we'll be right back. So when you hear um, Jesus affirm that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike, do you hear that as good news or bad news? What are we missing when we consider the reality of the way God pours out his grace? What are we missing when we consider the reality of God's active presence and ongoing work in the world today? I mean, are we missing miracles because we now just consider them mundane? That's the conversation we're going to have next with Tim Muehlhoff. We'll be right back. There's a natural progression that flows in the parenting process, and it's a good thing. God designed it that way. The problem comes when mom and dad get stuck and fail to move on. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When kids are young, we please them. In grade school, we protect them. And in middle school, we provide for them. In high school and beyond, we need to prepare them. It's unfortunate, however, when moms and dads get stuck in the pleasing, protecting, and providing stages and fail to prepare their kids for the world. This oversight can actually stunt your teen's growth. When you forestall independence, it only leads to an entitled young adult who continually makes irresponsible choices. Follow the God-given pattern for parenting. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. There's only Joining us again today is Dr. Tim Muehlhoff. Um, he is actually one of the people from whom I learn a great deal about communication. Um, first, I read books from Tim uh, on the subject of communication in marriage. Um, I remember the book that he wrote on spiritual warfare in marriage and just all kinds of great equipping uh, related to that topic. He teaches at Biola, um, and he comes to us today with a great new book, um, on the subject, really, of God's common grace, the book is Eyes to See, Recognizing God's Common Grace in an Unsettled World. Tim, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, thank you for having me back. This is awesome. Oh, it's always wonderful to talk with you. Um, I I love um, your books on persuasive communication and conversation and 
So this one I find particularly intriguing because you're really trying to get us to see something that's there all the time, but we're not always paying attention to or aware of. So, you know, kind of tell people, what is this book, Eyes to See? What's really, what is it really all about? Well, you know, Carmen, expectations really set our happiness at work, marriage, school. Uh, What do we expect to have happen and whether that's being met or not? And the same thing is true with God. Like, what do we expect of God in the midst of a pandemic? Like when we pray for help, assistance, what we envision that help to look like can either really disappoint us or it can open our eyes to how God is responding, but maybe not in dramatic ways. If all of our expectations are that God will dramatically, supernaturally answer my prayer, then I think we're missing what is called common grace, which are the subtle ways that God's been helping us through pandemics, hard times. And, and that's what we need to kind of open our eyes to is God's daily actions. Yeah, open my eyes that I may see, right? I mean, that's a part of what's going on here. I love the illustration that you provide to get us thinking. Um, talk with us about divine inspiration for the helicopter. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Carmen, in the book opens with a joke that I'm sure your readers have heard and that you've heard. But the joke, remember, there's a flood happening. Uh, A a man is absolutely convinced that God's going to help him. Uh, And so a helicopter comes by and says, because the floodwaters are now to the top of his roof, and he's standing on his roof. A helicopter comes by, drops down uh, a ladder and says, come on, we'll save you. He goes, no, I'm good. God's going to save me. I'm good. I don't need it. So the helicopter goes away. Well, he drowns, and now he stands before God. And, and he's mad. And he says, God, where were you? Why didn't you help me? And God says, what do you want? I sent you a helicopter. Now, that joke is really the basis for the book, because his expectation was what? That a divine hand would come down and lift him right. up off the roof? But God sent a helicopter. So the cool thing, Carmen, about this book was researching how all these inventions came to be. And this invention was by a man named Sikorsky, who at a young age kept having a dream of this floating machine that would pick him straight up into the air. He was like eight. Well, he kept drawing and drawing, eventually became an engineer. And then he's accredited with the first functional helicopter, and he fully believes that was divinely inspired by God to help people. So if we track it backwards, one could say to that man on the roof, that helicopter is God's common grace, and don't don't just shirk it off because you want a divine interaction. God gave you a helicopter to save you, and you rejected it. So I have a, um, I have a friend, his name is Walt, and he was sitting in a meeting um, at MIT. This goes back before, you know, what you and I know of as the Internet, and he absolutely you know, had this vision of the way God was going to extend the gospel to everyone all over the world through this thing that these guys were whiteboarding called the Internet. You know, how it was going to, you know, God was going to reveal, like, you know, all the invisible, right? He, he's the creator of things visible and invisible, and now God was going to extend the gospel through that which has always been invisible, but which you and I both know makes possible the communication that we're enjoying right now. Uh, yeah, imagine trying to do a pandemic without Zoom or Skype mm-hmm. or the Internet. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I'm in higher education. And, and when it hit and we were shut down, just like everybody else all across the world, we pivoted in a heartbeat 
to now all my classes were virtual, which was a pain via Zoom. But imagine if there wasn't Zoom. You and I wouldn't be doing this interview right now. See, that's the point of the book, Carmen, is I'm not denying the supernatural. I mean, the Bible is complete with stories of the supernatural, but it's also what James says. Every good gift comes from God. And so it really opened my perspective when I just started to notice all the things that I take for granted. For example, yesterday I did a, a different radio interview and I, I was getting a migraine. So I, I took migraine medication that knocked it out and I was able to do the interview. Now, part of me is disappointed. Maybe your listeners can resonate with this. Part of me is disappointed because I have prayed that God would take away my migraines. I've even mm. had people lay hands on me that, that these migraines would go away. Well, I've been suffering for probably, I don't know, 15 years with migraines. But I have migraine medication, a talented neurologist. Uh, who's not a Christian, by the way. That's the cool thing about common grace is it's common to both Christians and non-Christians. So imagine life without migraine medication. So I've started the practice of just literally saying, thank God for this. You know, thank God for my migraine medication. Thank God for Zoom. Thank God for a beautiful sunny day. Thank God. You know, that is a mm -hmm. great spiritual practice. And that's what the book is about is how do we recognize common grace? But then just as important, how do we have these conversations with non-Christian friends, family members, co-workers, where we use the topic of common grace to open up doors to spiritual conversations? Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to have that conversation with Tim Muehlhoff in just a moment. We're going to encourage you to have eyes to see, to expand your view of what counts as an act of God. Is it an act of God that you're hearing this right now, wherever you are? Um, is it an act of God that the technology exists? Is it an act of God um, that, you know, God, that there are not only um, ways for us to respond to viruses, um, but, but ways for us to deal with things like headaches? Is that an act of God? We're trying to expand our understanding and our view of what's known as common grace. And we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. So picking up where we left off with Dr. Tim Muehlhoff, we're talking about his brand new book, Eyes to See, Recognizing God's Common Grace in an Unsettled World. And yes, we do have copies to give away. Thank you for asking. You just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Tim, we are, um, we, we're curious to just have maybe a working definition of a term you and I keep using, and that term is common grace. Co common grace is expressed by the psalmist in Psalm 145, where, the, where he says, God is compassionate upon his entire creation and gives good blessings to all. So common grace is common. God doesn't favor Christians over non-Christians. In fact, one theologian in the book, Wayne Grudem, argues that non-Christians could get more of common grace than even Christians. In other words, a non-Christian carpenter or neurologist could be more talented, more skilled, more insightful than a Christian 
carpenter or neurologist, just based on how much they're taking advantage of discipline and common grace. So the cool thing is, Carmen, even though the world is in rebellion against God, even though we've turned our back on God, he never turned his back on us. He continues based on his foreknowledge. God knows what's going to happen. COVID didn't take him by surprise. And the next thing coming down the pike is not going to take him by surprise. So he is giving us gifts to help us prepare. You know, in a world of disease, he gave us penicillin. Um, he gave us the arts to show us what true love looks like. Um, he gave us the arts to show us what, what uh, sex, how it can go badly, as well as how it can flourish. So again, the book is broken down into many different topics. And I try to use pop culture illustrations to make it come alive, as well as mm -hmm. historical illustrations to just show that that some of these inventions are just fascinating where you can see God's fingerprint if you're looking for it. Okay, I want to use one of the pop culture illustrations that you use because you um, you give us something from the Hunger Games. I think that's going to be a surprise to some people um, where you, you know, you remind us that we see these parachutes of assistance. And, you know, that's very much like the grace of God that showers uh, in upon us all. So talk about that. Sure. So the Hunger Games is this post-apocalyptic future where the leaders of uh, an, uh, this futuristic nation punish dissenters by fostering what is called the Hunger Games. Young children, uh, two from each district, have to fight to the death, and the winner uh, it now has a free pass the rest of his or her life. I know it sounds kind of morbid, but it, it's a bestseller has been around uh, forever, is a worldwide bestseller. Well, interesting in it, uh, there are people watching the Hunger Games happen, and they can send, if they choose, to send gifts to the combatants. So at one point, Katniss uh, um, sees a canister literally fall from the sky in a parachute, and it's healing balm that she's going to use on uh, her partner from the same district. So I use that illustration to say, isn't that kind of what James is saying, that every good gift comes from above? Now, God's good gifts don't come with parachutes, but they do come from God. And that's what James is trying to get at when he calls God the father of lights. Many theologians believe he's looking at the starry sky and as vast as the stars are, that's as vast as God's good gifts. So just like uh, combatants in the Hunger Games needed help, medicine, uh, a compass, uh, things to start a fire, and they came from people watching the Hunger Games, God is constantly watching our lives and providing these good gifts because he knows what it's like in a pandemic, a recession, when you lose a loved one, in sickness. And so God is constantly bombarding our planet with these good gifts. And Carmen, there's a ton of research on the area of gratitude that if mm. we just stop each day and and are thankful for three things each day, it, it, you don't have to be a Christian to do this. This has great effect on people if you just uh, notice three things that I'm thankful for. You're not denying the bad, but you're just not starting with the bad. You're starting with the good. And to me, that's a wonderful spiritual practice of even in the midst of hard times, and nobody's going to deny that we're not in hard times, but train your mind to wake up in the morning and say, okay, here's three things I'm thankful for this morning. Uh, a cup of coffee, I'm listening to Carmen's radio program, 
she has a brilliant guest on named Tim Yohoff. Uh, I'm just <laughs> brainstorming, Carmen. I'm just thinking <laughs> off the top of my head. So, but, but I, so did... no, so I did this. So, okay, so let me just say that for me, like, Early, 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 first three things, right? I will just go ahead and tell you, I am incredibly thankful for indoor plumbing. Yes. This is my first thing in the morning things, right? Indoor plumbing, the Bible, and electricity. Because I'm up really, really early in the morning, and if I didn't have electricity, reading my Bible would be very, very challenging. And first thing in the morning, I'm super-duper thankful for indoor plumbing, I'm just saying, like, right, this is, I feel like this is common grace. And Carmen, to point out, I just came back from Tanzania uh, teaching women self-defense. And by the way, in the book, I argue that self-defense systems that popped up all over the world are a form of common grace. Teaching women self-defense, Maasai women, uh, there is no indoor plumbing. There's no heat. Uh, So I, I think it's good for us every once in a while to step out of our current context just to mm. see how other people live. And people live in the world in very difficult situations. So maybe we're just smiling when you say heat, but for a lot of people in the world, that they would say, man, that's a blessing. Like, that's a That's luxury. a huge blessing, a luxury. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It does help us um, have real perspective. I mean, it, when you talk about, you know, it, it's, a, it's a grace to be able to navigate by the stars. You know, I'm navigating by GPS. Um, and so, you know, when you talk about it being, um, you know, it being a grace that people are able to formulate and form governments that actually work and bring order to life and, um, you know, provide for human flourishing, I'm thinking to myself of all the frustrations that I sometimes experience related to you know, systems of governance. And so I I really appreciated the way you are turning our eyes to see. Um, and obviously, you know, that's part of what you're doing in the very title, um, Eyes to See. And so I just, I want to say thank you for that, because I do think you're helping us to recognize um, the what is often the unseen or invisible hand of God in very ordinary, in things that we have con, come to consider very, very ordinary parts of our life, but they're really extraordinary. It's it's actually really extraordinary. And, and so let me just leave a challenge with your listeners. Sean Aker, he's a psychologist from Harvard. He says, take one week and each day just identify three things that you're thankful for. And he makes the argument that the effects of doing that for simply one week, if, when they use MRIs to take a look at like the amygdala, it, it will have a positive impact for the next six months, just taking one week and doing it. So imagine if we made this mm. a regular practice, and, and I would spiritualize it. Sean Aker is not a Christian, but I would spiritualize it and say, each day, find three ways to say, thank you, God, for this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what a great way to move into this new year, uh, being thankful for God's good gifts and not discounting the supernatural by any means, but knowing that he doesn't always meet our expectations of what that might look like, but he's constantly working in the background to help meet the needs of us non-Christians in the collective world. Yeah, every every beat of my heart, every uh, breath I take. <laughs> The ability for you and I to communicate in this way with each other now and for others to be able to hear us um, in real time and hear us later as well. It's just all extraordinary. We're so thankful um, to God for 
Yeah, for his common grace, for his common grace. The rain falls upon the just and the unjust alike, Mm -hmm. um, and we're thankful for that. All right, Dr. Tim Muehlhoff, thank you as always so much. You guys can visit with Tim online. Um, His website is... I don't have it in front of me. Is it just timmuehlhoff.com? Because that's super simple. timmuehlhoff.com. All right. And you guys, uh, you can order the book from InterVarsity Press, but we are giving away a handful of copies today. You can enter that drawing by texting the word book to 877-933-2484. The book is Eyes to See. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Said the night went to the little All right, the night wind and the little lamb, the wise men of old, the shepherd boy, they saw something that not everyone else around them saw. When you think about the quite uncommon, very specific grace that God sends to us in the person of Jesus Christ, the reality is not everybody sees him for who he is. Not everybody saw that star for what it was. But the people... um, whose eyes were opened, the eyes of whose hearts had been enlightened by the scriptures, they knew exactly what they were looking at. And I want that to um, stick with us today. Not everybody sees what we see when we see the signs of the times in which we live, when we see what God has revealed. Not everybody yet sees that. And part of the great joy of being a Christian today is that you and I get to be bright, shiny lights. We get to be signposts. We get to be the people who point in the direction of the one who is not only the way and the truth and the life, but the good news of great joy for all people. We get to be the wise men who seek him today, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, acknowledging that every other thing is going to be added unto us as well, because we are also people who live in in the context of common grace. So let's be praying for peace today for people everywhere. Let's be listening to what God says. Let's acknowledge the Christ who has come, bringing us goodness and light. And let's help other people see him today for who he really is. If God has given you eyes to see, you should count that as a particular grace of God in your life. And then use that grace, multiply it, extend it, to others who do not yet see what you see, who do not yet hear what you hear, who do not yet know what you know, that Christ has come, that God loves us, that redemption is possible, that transformation is real, that this isn't all there is. We have another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.